Welcome to the 34 Circe Salon. We journey from the ancient world to the cosmos. Take the adventure. Take the adventure with us. With us. With us. With us. Welcome, everybody. This is the 34 Circe Salon. I am Sean Marlon Newcomb, and we're doing something different this week, which should be fun. We are doing sports. So be ready. We've got some two great sportsmen here to join us today. First, we have a guy who was the anchor of the 3-4 defense. They called him the Red Dog, Richard Red Dog Stone. Everybody, let's have a round of applause for him here. Come on, folks. All right, fantastic. And he's a gritty defenseman. He played hard in the ice, racked up a lot of penalty minutes. They call him Boom Boom. Howard Boom Boom Broadwin. Pleasure to be here, Sean. All right, kids. All right, so... Now, guys, seriously, let's talk sports, COVID. So what have you guys done in place of having sports on the air, on TV? I'm just trying to get the regular sports fans feel for what's been going on. I mean, just I'll tell you, I've time traveled, so I watch old sports broadcasts. Yeah, that's basically, you know, what I've been doing as well. Um, Yeah, I'm kind of disappointed in the way – the uh, sports networks have handled um, all this because like what, like what did you want them to do or what aren't they doing? Well, you know, um, well, for instance, you know, with, uh, with baseball, with the MLB network, you know, they're sitting there and they, they continuously run, you know, old games but they're they're missing an opportunity to bring in new fans. Um, like how? I think you know, it's like, for instance, my son, who is a baseball player, um, and you know, I have two neighbors who who have younger sons that are just in little league, and and they have an opportunity. That they I know they have in their library a bunch of clips of players coming on and talking about their skills development, you know, how they approach it at bat, you know, what they do to, to, in training and, and practicing, you know, what pitchers do, what pitchers are looking for, what they do in certain situations. And all this information, all this coaching gold is on their web, you know, on, in, in their, in their archives. And they could, you know, have a producer put it together and run, you know, at two o'clock in the afternoon for an hour or 30 minutes saying, Hey, you know, kids, it's coach time, you know, get your bat, get your glove and, you know, learn something about the game. And they're not, they're not taking advantage of it. That's and a great I, idea. I hadn't even thought about that. That's a great idea. Well, uh, I got to share though. Um, they may not be doing it on the network, but they are absolutely doing it digitally. That's exactly what an MLB is doing it. And all the leagues are actually doing it, and the individual teams as well. There's a, I, I can't even begin to tell you the 
treasure trove of content that exists out there amongst all the pro leagues and the pro teams of tons of at-home resources for training and coaching and then all kinds of other things. There's, ed- there's educational stuff. There's a STEM education cur- uh, curriculum from the NHL. And I mean, there's a ton of stuff out there. It's just, it's all being fed through the digital channels and probably not right. coming as, as strongly through through their broadcast channel. Right. Well, that's interesting. Howard, just can you give us an example of like places where people listening could find that? I'm sorry to cut you off, Richard. We'll come back to that. No, no. So where where would someone give it like an NHL? I know you're an NHL. Uh, well, I'll, I'll give you the the MLB one. So it's, it's MLB.com slash COVID-19 resources. Wow. Okay. And there is okay. there is a, a tremendous amount of stuff there. But I, I, I think I think to Richard's point, though, it's a question of are, how well are they integrated with what's going on on their broadcast channel, on their over the air channel? And right. that, that may be where, where the misstep is. And I think that's, you know, I, I guess part of it, too, is nobody has ever done this before. So they're kind of navigating through this morass uh, with the rest of us and trying to figure out, all right, what can we do? What, what should we, could we be doing? Um, and then what can we do as a league versus what do the, what do the individual teams do? You know, and that's always the challenge, too, with these some of these organizations, you know, they they're they're really kind of on their own. They get to kind of dictate some things that they wanna that they wanna showcase. So, but I but I agree. I think the the challenge is, is what can the broadcast networks be doing? Um, I, I you know I love his comment about bringing in new fans, uh, and and I think now is a time to start experimenting. And that's really the key is don't just rely on what you've done in the past. It's like, well, why don't we try a whole bunch of new things and let's you know see what works. Right. Well, I mean, I think that's, I mean, that is good. And I would expect to your point of it's new. It's still there. These are billion dollar industries. They have the people and the talent should be thinking about that as soon as this kind of hit the get go. But Richard, you were going to say what I cut you off. What were you going to say earlier? Um, well, that, you know, going back to, yes, I know that their resources are available online and that's really great for, you know, 75 to 80% of the people who would have access to online, first of all. The second part of it is, um, I think it's, it's, it's one thing, you know, your kid sits in his room with his computer or his iPhone in his lap and, and, you know, or on the couch with his headphones on and his, you know, and he's not interacting with the rest of the family or she's not interacting with the rest of the family. If you put it on the network, even for 30 minutes, and then say, hey, you know, we have this information available online for, for more in-depth information, you know, go to this, you know, MLB, you know, resources, COVID resources. That is, is excellent, but wouldn't it be good to have, you know, mom and son or dad and son or dad and daughter and mom and daughter sitting on the couch watching, you know, a 30-minute thing on, you know, you know, delivery, arm care, whatever, and then say, you know, go check out this more information on them. Because that 30 minutes on the network is, you know, a bigger ad drive, ad revenue drive than their YouTube channel or their, you know, MLB network channel. Um, uh, so they're, they're, leaving, they're leaving money on the table. It's good from that well, standpoint. It's not only that. It's just, you know, you're paying for these there's resources and you're not expanding your audience and you're not even attempting to expand your audience. 
You know, you're running, you know, games from 1970, 1960, 1980s. You know, they're great for me. I love seeing them, but I'm already a baseball fan, right? Right. You know, I'm going to the, the, the hockey, you know, clips, and I'm seeing a couple of old games there, you know, and that's great. But what are they doing to capture new audience? And they, and the thing about it is they're going to lose audience, you know, in the stadiums because you know, frankly, and, until they get this you know thing completely handled with a vaccine or or they've you know gotten to the point where herd herd immunity is you know a true, truly established, they're not going to have the revenue from you know fan attendance. Yeah, and so, it could be. I, I think Richard did to your point. It could be that right now everybody's kind of treading water and once they realize okay we're able to kind of sustain now how do we start to do exactly that because i think I, th- I think you're right they're you know they're looking ahead their you know their traditional revenue models are going to change and they're going to need to find ways to address that to, to not only keep the fans they have but to draw new ones in so the the hope is that they'll start to find ways to innovate and and be creative with with how they how they do that, and it could come from these opportunities to sync up and get content to draw you know draw from one channel and then drive them to another for some continued engagement, get them to follow on social or sign up on email, and then you've got more of a relationship that you can get into. But I, my guess is is right now everybody and and I think the other thing I would say too though is it's also really unique league to league and sport to sport because you know look at like the nfl um it's it's impacting them but they have time to plan you know their season doesn't start for a while so they have they have some opportunities to figure this out nba and nhl are like how do we finish our season major league baseball is like how do we even start our season you know so there's a they're all in really unique kind of situations just in terms of their timeline um and they're all watching each other uh, I, I, I've sat in on a, on a bunch of, uh, of webinars and conference calls because I work in the sports industry. And I, I can tell you right now, everybody was watching what happened with the Bundesliga in Germany this past weekend because they're the first major professional sports league really to come, come back. You know, you can, you can I don't want to discount Korean baseball. You know, that came back a little earlier, but... But the Bundesliga is quite a bit bigger, and they were able to come back this weekend. But everybody's been like, "How did they do it? What's working? What's not working?" And you know, it's kind of giving everybody the other soccer leagues and then all the other professional sports leagues at least some information on, "All right, how are we going to do this? Is this going to work?" And you know, and and how how long until you know we either a can expand and get fans back in, or b there's some sort of issue and we have to contract again and figure figure that piece out. What, what happened, Howard? Uh, what was the league where they did find that there were people who were COVID positive? I thought that was a football slash soccer league overseas. Italy. Is that right? Syria. Italy. Okay. Yeah. Italy, and then and, it affected uh, the Premier Yeah, Yeah, some players in the Premier League. Yep. Okay, that was it. The yeah. Premier League. But it, so nothing, nothing from Bundesliga yet. No, in fact, that was one of the things that was um, was noted. Is and again, this is now you get to the bigger question or the bigger you know kind of circumstance of how did each country handle right. dealing with the right. virus? And Germany handled it really, really well. 
And if you look at the numbers in Germany compared to the rest of Europe, they have been a model for how to deal with this. So as such, they were in a place to open their sports league up faster than the other countries in Europe and obviously better than what we've done here in the United States. So that's a big part of it. It's not just the sport, it's how the country has managed the crisis. They're opening up with no crowd, correct? That is correct. Yes. And all the all the teams are all the the leagues open fully. What's their testing? Do you guys know offhand? What's what's their procedure? Are they testing I, I think, daily? I mean, how are they doing it? I think they're testing multiple times a week. But okay. I, I but I'm not a hundred percent positive on that. But I believe I believe it. I don't know that it's daily, but I think it is. It is you know it's more than once a week and less than daily. Well, there's, I mean, there's a couple of layers on this. I mean, you've got the leadership level in a country. You've got the leadership in a league. And I still maintain that these leagues are big enough where even though this is new, even though this is uncharted territory, that's essentially why they're billion-dollar industries. They should be able to navigate this kind of thing. You know, when you have a government, you have to respond to the people. Collective will, there's a lot more involved. As a league, it's a simple, cor- you know, corporation is streamlined leadership is streamlined i would expect a little more out of them that's just my own opinion on that yeah but you know the leagues are restricted by you know where they play as well right so uh-huh. you know california is handling it differently than you know missouri is handling it differently than new york mm-hmm. um and you know in germany that's not the case in south korea that's not the case you've got a geographically much smaller area and uh, a much more unified, you know, you know, take on, you know, how their country is run. So sure, you know, if you know, if you know, Texas was its own, you know, country. Guess what? They'd be playing, you know, baseball and <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you think that would be a good thing? Would you Would you be in favor of that? Uh, you know, um. No, yeah, no. Uh, only because of my, you know, personal experience, you know, with you know acquaintances and, and friends that have been hospitalized. I, I've seen how damned ugly this this COVID disease can be, and you know, I have no desire to be infected. Oh, I thought the question was, are you in favor of Texas being its own country? Because well, absolutely, I would. I'd vote for that in a heartbeat. <laughs> well, what about you, Howard? Are you in favor of anything being uh, of leagues being opened up like that now? Well, I think though that, that that's exactly the point. Is that it? It's really a matter of um, of how the region, country, city ha- has handled it. Um, and well, I mean, here, the U.S. Yeah, the US. Well, yeah. Again, we, we, we you don't have that. You know, it's it it's 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 the quote United States, not the independent states of America. So we are united. So we have we and, and we operate our sports leagues in that in that way. So yeah, you can't just contain uh, at that level at the professional level. You can't just contain it to one region and then say go ahead and play. Uh, it's just not ha- it's not now not how it's set up here. So so no, I agree. You can't you, you can't open it up until until there's consistency and consensus in how this crisis is being managed and, and handled. And yeah, you can do that. You can do that in, in a country like Germany. To Richard's point, it's smaller. They were able to control it, and right. and now they're able to open up their their league to be you know to to uh, to to get things moving again. 
you know, but there, there's, there's still so many factors to be aware of too, because it's, it's the, it's the issue too of the players themselves, which really at the end of the day, like they're, they're the frontline employees and, and they, they, if you're putting them at risk to, to not only that they are going to get this, that they could bring it home to a family member. And some of these, some players in, in, you know, in certain leagues and other parts of the world, they, they'll have, they'll have, uh, you know, older family members might be a parent or a grandparent that that lives with them or is nearby. And it's like, so there's at risk populations that they could be close to. And if they're potentially going to contract this, then that's a, that's a big risk. Uh, and, Believe me, I want to, you know, Sean knows me well. I, I, I'm very involved in the adaptive and Paralympic sport community. And that's a community full of people who have some uh, compromised immune systems. So their ability to get out and be, 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 you know, playing sport right now at an elite level is absolutely, you know, completely eliminated. Like there's just not a chance that that some of them will have the opportunity to do that. So yeah, those 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 are the risks. It's the athletes themselves and and the world that you know that they interact with, and they're really you know they are they are in that sense they're the frontline workers in in this equation. Right, and then you know in in three of our major leagues, you're looking at a very high percentage of African American, you know, players, and you know. Unfortunately, right now, African American, you know, the, the susceptibility to, you know, COVID is, is significantly higher um, to, for serious outcomes. So, um, you know, I, if I were a player in in you know Major League Baseball or the NFL or you know, or in college even. You know, do you, do I want to risk myself by going to the state of New York or to you know Southern California to play a sport? Yeah, I don't know. Is it is it worth it? Well, Mike Trout was saying his. I mean, his wife is pregnant, so he mm-hmm. says, you know, I think he said, well, when his wife goes into labor, he's going to want to be there for their you know their child, his first child. What happens to him is he have to go in two weeks of quarantine, two weeks of quarantine beforehand, afterwards, all that kind of stuff. He says, you know, the rollout plan isn't really clear and doesn't necessarily work well when you work it through. So I'm sure these guys are all worried about just their loved ones and not are close by. Howard, what's the what's been the specific thing about the adaptive sports community? What have they is there been anything that you want to point out that's significant that they're they've had to deal with and that they are approaching it in terms of how they're going to handle this going forward. Well, it's, it's a super grassroots community. Um, you know, other than the athletes that compete, you know, at, at the Paralympic level, um, you know, it, it's a, it's very much a, you know, a, a community of local programs that are all run by nonprofit organizations. And they've, you know, every program has had to, you know, find a way to go virtual and continue to keep athletes with disabilities engaged in some sort of physical activity that they can do at home. So in fact, if people could follow the hashtag adapt at home and you'll see on social and you'll see a myriad of, of, of uh, videos and photos and ideas and things that athletes with all sorts of disabilities are finding ways to, to be able to still get some sort of, of, 
physical activity in, but but be doing it at home. And it's no different, really, than you know than than any other you know than any other athlete. Um, but I think again, the big challenge for them is not all. So I don't want I don't want to paint with too broad a brush. But there are some who have a physical impairment that in that that has also caused them to have a compromised immune system. So the opportunity for them to really participate now in any sort of group, you know, team sport activity. So whether that's wheelchair, wheelchair basketball or quad rugby or even, even uh, adaptive swimming or, you know, anything where you're, you're, you're in a group environment, um, there's a lot of question marks in the community amongst the programs about how are, how are we going to bring people back? Uh, are we going to have to wait until there's a vaccine? Uh, and, and that's a distinct possibility. And, and, and interestingly, too, for the, for the elite level athletes who were training to compete in Tokyo in the Paralympics this summer, who are now going to have to train for next summer, how are they going to train? You know, how are they con- going to continue to stay sharp and work towards, you know, being an elite athlete uh, to compete in, you know, August of 2021 when they're limited in their access to facilities and training partners and, you know, team sports and competition, et cetera. So, so, you know, a lot of question marks, no, no different. I guess I would put it in that, in that sense that they you know, they're, they're impacted by this uh, in some ways, no different than any other elite level athletes and any other recreational athletes. Richard, how old are your kids? Uh, 16 and 14. Yeah, I want to make sure we know that. So, for them, how are they looking at this from a sports standpoint? Like, how are they looking at this landscape? I mean, for us, we have a long history of sports that we've all three of us have gone through, we've seen, we're connected to it, and this is a really weird blip. For them, it's coming in the middle of what we know is going to be their sort of legendary years, the years they look back on as the great sports moments they had in their lives and their youth. So how are they responding to it? Well, um, my daughter was, you know, in the middle of some, you know, hip issues. So she was taking the year off from swimming anyways. Um, so this is not affecting her at all. My son, on the other hand, is going into, at, next year will be his freshman year in high school. And uh, he was, you know, finishing up his travel ball seasons uh, before going into getting ready for high school ball. Could you say, just say a little, just so the listeners understand a little about Caden's, what he's been doing in baseball, like where he is and how much time he's put into it so they kind of know um, how this affects him? Yeah, against my better judgment, he, he, um, he he's uh, a year-round baseball player, basically. Um, right. he, he takes about a month and a half to two months off uh, for the last two years. Um, he's been year-round baseball. Prior to that, he you know played a little flag football, some soccer, and, and, you know, Little League. He started Little League when he was uh, nine. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's a little bit late to the game. So he felt that he needed to really push himself. But he he's gotten to the point where, you know, he's been invited to a couple of uh, college camps as uh, an eighth grader, and, you know, he's excited about the opportunities. So he's – Yeah. Yeah, he's been um, – pushing he's he's been pushing himself um here at the house you know doing as much as he can hitting off the tee dragging me out to throw with um throwing into the net um 
he's doing his speed and agility drills in the backyard. Yeah. Everything that he can do except for the long distance throwing because we can't get to a, a park or a, a football field or a baseball field. Um, so he's he's trying to keep as sharp as he can, but you know, without playing the game, his skills are going to deteriorate. So, but you know, I keep telling him you're not going to be any place different than any of the other kids coming into their freshman year. They are all suffering through the same things. I try keeping it positive for him, you know, letting him know that he's not going to be behind, but, um, you know, he's still, he's still very frustrated. Do you know, are most kids trying to keep up or are they just kind of like, Hey, here's a little break. It's video game time or whatever. Um, speaking with his, his coaches, he, he, you know, in the last three Oh, let's say the last month he started taking you know, video lessons with his hitting and catching coach. Um, and uh, speaking with his coaches, there are a couple of kids that have asked to get back into it and have been working on it. There are a couple, you know, so I would say, you know, on every travel ball team, you know, you have 14 or 15 players. Um, probably four or five of them are, you know, really good. And, you know, the rest of them, you know, may make a, a high school team, but, you know, probably will peter out before they're, you know, before they make varsity. So um, I think the top kids are all pushing themselves. And I think, you know, the good but not great kids are, are probably, you know, succumbing to, you know, regressing to the medium, I, I, I should say, because I, they're probably taking taking advantage of the, you know, the lack of intense schoolwork and the lack of, you know, you know, coaches yelling at them to get on it. How does the virtual teaching training work? Um, you know, we, we're fortunate we live in a very good school district. The teachers have taken it um, very seriously, but even with our, you know, even with our teachers, we find that you know the amount of time my kids are, quote unquote, in school, is probably one third of the the school day. Mm-hmm. So my son is, you know, he gets up in the morning, you know, eight o'clock, he's logging in and talking to his teachers, getting his assignments. He knocks them out by the 11.30 or 12 o'clock. He's done. And then, yeah, I force them to go to, like, online resources like Khan Academy or Rosetta Stone to keep pushing himself. Um, but I think what we're seeing is uh, minimum standards. What we're, what, we're, what we're facing is teachers having to fall back to teaching to the minimum standard instead of trying to push for excellence. What about for the coaches, the coaches you've had been working with? How does that work? Um, you know, obviously they, they can't be there to see in three, three dimensions, you know, what the kids are doing with their feet and, you know, their hands, where their hips are. So, you know, 
for like hitting instruction, you, you go through the drills, you see the result, you see, but you know, there are certain things that I know Caden's hitting coach would be picking up on that. He's not, you know, the timing isn't quite where it should be. And I don't know if it's not, you know, on video, it's hard to see it, um, especially mm-hmm. with these, you know, tall phones that they're using. But, um, you know, it, it's better than not trying, I suppose. That's an opportunity for some enterprising VR 3D person, <laughs> right? Anyway. I knew you were going to go there. All right. Anyway. What's VR, so, Sean? I've never heard of that. Would you like to tell us about that? I'm kidding. Sure, <laughs> How are we on time for you, Howard? Didn't you were up against? Uh, I'm good for about another 15, 20 minutes. Okay, good, good. All right. Uh, I want to ask you how the, in terms of the business of sports, what you're picking up from, you know, because you do sports marketing. What are you picking up? And I know it's mostly adaptive, but just in the general main major sports leagues, what are you picking up about how they're handling this financially and what they're what they're planning to be able to address this? It's a great question. I I, I sat in on a call this morning. It was really interesting. And they were talking about even just the planning of uh, the Super Bowl. You know, what are are all the contingency plans? And they literally have to look at everything because it's a question of like, how many fans are you going to be able to bring in? And what about all of the other activations that you do around the event for all of your brand partners? And how are those going to be like, so from the people that I've, I've talked to and listened to in, you know, in the sport, in the professional sports industry, it's literally like it's scenario planning, you know, uh, on steroids. Like they literally have to think about every single possible situation from we could be back to normal to we could be shut down again and whatever is in between and the, and and the, nobody has the crystal ball so that's why i said you know they they were fascinated in watching the bundesliga this weekend and and i, I think the big questions are going to be when are fans going to feel comfortable coming back into a building and and that that probably is the biggest question uh and it, it really does from from a and I guess let me even back up because I you know I'm one of those people I, I kind of break the I break the sports world into two very distinct areas you have you have the sport for entertainment world which is pro and college sports and that's sports that people watch and then you have the sports participation community and the recreation side and that's all the sports people actually get out and play and do uh, so. They're two very different worlds. Obviously, they're very connected and related, but they operate very differently. So, you know, there's a big question of when are people going to feel comfortable coming to a venue to watch a professional sports team play versus when are people going to feel comfortable going to play and participate in a specific sport? And those are, are, are very different scenarios because golf courses are, are back open. Uh, and and in my opinion, um, I think they should be. That's a sport where you can create the distance and be able right. to, to safely be out with other people. People can wear masks. You can do all of the mitigating practices that are necessary. And it's important for that side of the golf industry to be functioning because it supports a lot of, of people from an employment standpoint. And it's an important part of people's 
recreation. And I'd say the same for any of those other recreational sports where there is an opportunity to do that safely, um, that, that will hopefully be, you know, kind of con continue to roll itself out um, over, you know, over time. But the professional sports world from, you know, again, you look at their revenue models, the broadcasting side, you know, and, and Richard alluded to earlier, like, what are the opportunities that they could be looking at that could be revenue positive for them that they could do on a broadcast side? But then it really is the question of, you know, how, how are we going to get butts and seats? And, and what is our revenue for that? I mean, that, and that's even still this, this big question mark about baseball. Because the whole revenue model and the pay system for baseball is very different than what it is for the NBA and the NHL and the NFL. You know, no CBA in, in baseball. So, you know, very different model. And that's why you have the situation of the players not willing to take, you know, this, this, you know, this pay cut and revenue split. Because uh, it's a very different model in how the league makes its money, the teams make their money, and the players get paid. So that has to be addressed. And whatever they do could be very different and, and may or may not inform what the NHL and the NBA and the NFL and MLS and, and other leagues do. Um, but meanwhile, you know, like I said, on the participation side, you know, whole different scenario. Um, how are you going to get people to come out and take, uh, take part in a, in a marathon, 10K, uh, trail running, you know, group, group events, you do staggered starts, you know, what are, you know, how do you, how do you do that? You know, and, and, so many of these question marks around all of these other participatory sports areas that I, you know, I think still need to get figured out, but hopefully little by little, you know, people are going to start addressing them, trying things and, and, and hopefully not failing and trying and learning and continuing to, to evolve as, as they, uh, you know, as we go through the rest of the year. Baseball. I mean, sometime we, I would love to do a podcast on that because baseball represents a model of labor, forget sport, labor that is from an earlier era where literally labor had more power, in my opinion. That's a whole other story. But my question to you is, how would you? How are you feeling about it? Sports participation versus sports fans? Because for me, I, sports participation, I can see eventually, slowly, I could get myself back into because it's smaller groups of people. You can protect yourself, a little more distance the sports fan going into a big stadium, I'm just, it's, it's really altered how I look at something I really love. So how for you and for you, Richard, how do you guys feel about participation and attendance? What's your own personal outlook on that? I, I will say that I, I'm, I don't feel comfortable attending uh, right now. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I don't know where I will be in, you know, three, six, you know, Eight, you know, 12 months. Um, it, a lot of it'll be, you know, based on, you know, kind of where, where we're at with understanding this. I mean, that's the other reality that I think everybody has to grasp is we really don't know much about this entire disease. It's brand new. So, you know, and, and you know, depending on what news you read and watch, you know, we're, we're, that, that nobody really knows and you can make all the assumptions you want. So it's really hard to say, um, you know, I, but I, you have to go with today. Today, I do not feel comfortable, you know, going to attend and, you know, and, 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 and if the NHL started tomorrow, I would not be comfortable going to, to a game. I'd love to watch. Uh, and I'm a huge hockey fan, so I will be thrilled to be able to watch when it comes back on, go Islanders. But I'm not willing to, not willing to get, 
you know, to, to, to go physically to, to attend. Now, when it comes to participating in, in, in an environment, you know, where, again, depending on if it's people that I know, let's say I, you know, I, I play in a, in a regular uh, uh, pickup hockey game, and these are all guys that I know, and we're adult enough and, and I, I would hope intelligent enough to say to ourselves, if you're showing any symptoms, don't come. If you're not comfortable with coming, don't come. And can we play? Can we play and keep, for the most part, when you're playing hockey, you can really, there are certainly going to be instances when you're closer than six feet, but for the most part, it's not a sport where you're on top of each other, that the whole part of the sport is to be, to create time and space. So there's definitely, I think, an advantage to us being able to come back to that sooner than later. Um, But other sports, it's going to be, I think, you know, it's going to be challenging. Um, And certainly the bigger question will be, as we get towards the winter, you know, does this come back? And, and I, you know, and certainly the other question of indoor sports versus outdoor sports. You know, we have a big advantage here in Southern California. And we have the opportunity to do a lot of outdoor sport and a lot of outdoor recreation. Even for me, I play more, way more roller hockey outside than I play ice hockey inside. So the opportunity to play outside to me is is a far more inviting you know uh, uh, opportunity than to go on inside where you have recirculating air, which again, based on what we know right now, is part of the challenges and difficulties in how this can spread through recirculating air. So being in an outdoor environment presents a better, a safer alternative than being indoor. So these are you know I think these are all the things to to be weighed, but you know it, it's going to change as we learn more about this disease. Yeah, Richard, what about you? Um, very much, you know, the same thoughts, you know, am I comfortable going to a stadium to watch a game? No. And I don't think I will be for quite some time until, like I said, a vaccine is, is, you know, made available or, you know, yeah, basically I don't want to get sick. So probably not not going to see the Trojans play football in the fall, or you know, or the Rams for that matter. Or, you know, um, do I want to get back in the pool and, and start swimming again? Yes. You know, do I think that we can all you know have two practices and you know for my master swim team and and you know skip every other lane? Yes, I think that's yeah you know, quite doable. Um, you know, if I have, if we have to s- swim in, you know, chlorinated, uh, more heavily chlorinated water, that's fine for me too. Um, you know, as far as, you know, my kids and their, uh, you know, for Cadence baseball teams, uh, you know, if the kids could be responsible and not spit and all that, then, then probably yes for baseball. Um, but for other sports like basketball and whatnot that, you know, play in an indoor um, environment, well, uh, probably not. Um, I think, um, speaking of recirculated air, I, I think, uh, you know, these high-end HEPA air filters are going to, you know, probably need to be installed in all the major stadiums so that when they when the air does get recirculated, it needs to be cleaned before it you know, gets put back into the environment, um, and that's probably something that will have to be invested in. But um, you know, as far as playing the sport, I'd I'd like to get back to it now. 
as as far as you know watching the sport in the stadium uh no thanks um, but i'd love to be able to see you know the games on tv it's interesting because i i'm in agreement with you guys about playing versus going to as a fan and attending. Interestingly, though, for me, there is a psychological aspect to it because I'm looking at the larger picture of what pandemics mean and how they can keep coming through and how we didn't know this one was here until it was. I mean, our leadership did. That's a whole other podcast. But we weren't aware of it. So I have an issue really going forward about large groups, group attendance generally. So that's just something I'm going to be kind of guiding through for myself just because again you never know when the next wave is coming but investing in it we are going to have to do this sports leagues are going to have to do that as an investment to get fans back and show them how safe it is on that note i'm interested in what you guys think and we'll just kind of wrap up on this one fight island so the mma is back uh i'm going to get in the i'm going to get in the tiger cage just so you know it's going to do a little blood sport but not just yet but what do you guys think about Fight Island and the idea of MMA starting back up right now? <laughs> what do yeah. you guys think? Yeah, well, you know, to each their own. If, if they can find the people that are willing to get there, great. But I mean, I think it's not a, that of all sports. It's the last sport that should be doing something right now. Yeah. The blood, the sweat, uh, all the stuff involved. You know? No, I, I agree with that. I guess... I guess I guess the question is, is, well, is the point of having it on an island um, for, for the ability to bring fans so that their no. fans can attend? So, so right. So, no, so to keep it, supposedly to keep it secure, which, quarantined. Well, but which, which, but which they've done in, in a, in a, a venue with no fans already. They just did, right? They've had, they've had oh, some yeah. MMA. So, so it's really I mean, more, the same thing. Forget, forget the island. Right. For itself, it's it's right? really, yeah. To, the, to me, yeah. The, uh, the, the island thing is that's just, it's, it's brilliant PR. That's all yeah. it is. And it, and, and it's a great move. And, and, you know, and, and you have to remember it's entertainment. It's made for TV entertainment, and that's where they make all their money. They, it's all in the pay per view, so and or or the or the deal that they have with ESPN if it's if it's UFC. So that that in and of itself is an entertainment play and a PR play um, for the island itself. But but yeah, the bigger question of should the sport be back? That's uh, yeah, a you know it's a, it, I guess again it's it's up to the the frontline workers. So if if those athletes feel comfortable that they want to go and participate and that includes their training staff and the medical team and and then the production team that has to be there to for the cameras which again could be some interesting things you could do with with non-human camera you know you could have remote cameras you don't need a human being maybe in all those cameras so you know there again if if i guess if everybody's in then you know that's up to the people involved that they want to participate. But I, I yes, I, I, it, it's definitely questionable that that would be something to come back so quickly. But at the end of the day, that's that's dollars and cents talking. Well, the thing though, to be fair to the athletes, UFC is a one man operation. I mean, it's Dana White from the top down. It is a monopoly. Really, I mean, there's Bellator and there's all that stuff uh, that's out there, but really UFC is the only real game in town. So these guys don't have, and gals, many gals, don't have a lot of opportunity to say no as easily. That I find problematic. That's why I was saying the thing about baseball 
God bless them, players still have real leverage in that game. Now, it's a new America. In the old days, we liked the idea of labor having some leverage, but maybe a lot of people not so much. But UFC labor athletes, they don't quite have the leverage that they have in even other sports. So, Yeah, it, this is a, a, a slightly uh, different scenario, though, right? Um, you can't have the same, you know, so so I don't know how many fighters there are in UFC, how many known fighters there are in UFC, but I can't imagine if, say, 70% of the fighters say, no, we don't want to go because I don't want to risk getting sick, and, you know, the the thirty percent that say yeah let's do it you know and they go and do it guess what they're not going to have the TV revenue because they they don't have nobody wants to see the same thing over and over again they might the thing is there there are people there's people in line there's always a new crop of fighters in line trying to get that UFC contract certainly is the case with women's MMA so it's a little bit dicey for them it's still you could have 70% say no, but think of the psychology on that 70%. Do I give up my top spot? Does the other guy say no? Does my rival get in there with a, a headline event? You know, does Dana, Dana White being the head of the UFC, does Dana become more favorable to those guys who showed up or those women who show up? So it's a real, that's a whole other question. I just, and I love the sport, love MMA, just don't think it should be starting back right now. So... We'll see what the fan base thinks. I don't know how well it did. Well, you, know done fan, well. you know the fans are going to watch, right? Yeah. Because we're all going stir-crazy watching, you know, 1980s or 1990s or 2000, you know, competition. I'm done with it. You know, I want I want to see the new stuff. I, I've, I've reacquainted myself with players over the last 60 years. So <laughs> it's kind of – I mean, it's, it's really been fascinating because what I've been doing – is I'll watch the actual broadcast, not just like an NFL Films clip of Super Bowl X. I'll go back and watch the broadcast of Super Bowl X, which is just fascinating in and of itself, seeing the commercials. So, yeah, it's been interesting. I'd like to see some real games. But I also realize we're not in a world for that, and I like the idea of athletes staying alive to come back and play. So um, I appreciate that they need to wait a little bit. On that note, I want to thank. Um, let's give our let's let's give a proper let's give a proper for our two gridiron and ice hockey warriors, Boom Boom Broadwind and Red Dog Stone. Thanks, guys, for coming, listening, and talking about this. Uh, can I get you guys to come back? I think this would be a really good topic to continue. Certainly, I would be honored, my friend. Right. Fantastic, guys. Right. Thank you again, folks. You've been listening to the 34 Cersei Salon. I am Sean Marlon Newcomb. We will talk again next time. Thanks. <laughs>